Hey, welcome to a special edition of TalkScript. This is episode three. On this episode, we're going to continue with the interviews that Neil did at the Nebraska JavaScript conference. In our first interview, Neil and Lucas Fernandez da Costa discuss his talk, What Can We Learn from JavaScript Fatigue? And in our second interview, Neil and Jonathan Mills discuss his talk, A Skeptic's Guide to Functional JavaScript. Hey everyone, uh, my name is Lucas. Uh, I'm a software developer from Brazil. Um, I do lots of open source work. I'm a core maintainer of both uh, ChaiJS and SignonJS. And you know, you can always find me on Twitter and GitHub. And that's basically what I do for a living. Uh, what'd you talk about today? Well, uh, today I talked about uh, how can we uh, deal with JavaScript fatigue and what we can learn with it. That was basically it. <laughs> I really liked so. it. Uh, I thought it was really good. Uh, we've talked about JavaScript fatigue a few times in the podcast. Um, one of the things I thought was really neat uh, in your talk was the idea of uh, natural selection yeah, in sure. toolkits. And I think that's kind of the first good approach I've heard to dealing with JavaScript fatigue is to think of to think of the JavaScript world as undergoing natural selection. Yeah, sure. I think that uh, some, something that really shows this uh, is the way JavaScript deals with modules. You know. Mm -hmm. We, if we had to like create a standard for that, that would take a lot of time. So instead of just creating a standard that a uh, lot less people can opinionate on, maybe we should just try to build things by ourselves and the best ones, the ones that people use more will thrive. And then we can build standards upon that. And you know, someday they might die and yeah. we may, might have those things as native options. Well, I think it also makes it so that people that are so worried that they're never gonna that they're like always going to be missing the next big thing. Uh, it, it would be like it would be like if you're talking about evolution, right? It'd be like trying to spend all your day looking at all the animals in the world. Yeah, sure. And saying like, is it what is this one going to turn into next? What is this one going to turn into next? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think that there's no right horse to bet on. You know, I think that you should just pick whatever technology solves your problem because, especially because in the web, we are always building new stuff. Uh, it's rare to see someone that only maintains stuff. You know, we're always building new things and UI is not reusable. So we get to try new stuff, you know, new tools every day. And that's why I think more people in JavaScript experiment other technologies than in other environments and other languages. Yeah, and if they, I think if people waited a little bit and said, is this thing gonna last? Um, that they might worry a little bit less, right? Like. If you hear about a new tool and everyone's talking about it, if you immediately spend all your time learning about it, it yeah, two sure. weeks later no one might remember it. Like thinking about it in terms of natural selection means that you can wait for a little while. Yeah, you can wait until it gets enough traction for you to get involved with it. And if you think something is worth it, you can just jump straight in and you know start contributing because that's how these tools were built. You know they. They are built uh, upon the work of many people, so mm -hmm. we rely on those people. And that's something uh, most people don't realize in the open source community, and that's something we talk a lot about, is that sometimes people think open source is just magic, that software just appears there. <laughs> but it's actually really hard to keep up with all the issues we got to solve and you know, get in touch with our users and see what they need so that we can solve their problems. And so I, I, I always encourage people to get involved because we need more people contributing and sharing their opinions with us because more tools mean we have more choices and by having more choices, 
we're able to solve more problems, you know, and that's the kind of thing we want. So don't be afraid to create your own solution to something because if it's successful, you know, people will adopt it, you have contributors and that thing will go on. But if it's not well, you solve your own problem and that's okay too. Well, that's the next big tip you had for dealing with JavaScript fatigue, right? Is only addressing problems that you have, right? Like, I think you said uh, that uh, one of the reasons people have JavaScript fatigue is that they, they have solutions in, in search of problems that they, they don't really have any reason that they're learning something new. Yeah, exactly, exactly. People do premature optimization all the time, you know. And most software out there, it's not like, it does not depend on performance that heavily. And, you know, we can try things, you know, we can watch them fail and you, we can have problems before trying to solve them. And that's actually why I use uh, TDD as a comparison, you know, because TDD does exactly that. We create problems, we solve them. And if we just start adopting lots of tools we don't know what they do, uh, we end up with JS fatigue, you know, such as trying to learn something by using huge boilerplates. You know, you don't always understand everything that's in there. And when you try to build things by yourself, uh, you end up finding the problems by yourself and you know when it's the right time to use abstractions, when it's the right time to use certain technologies because you know they all have goals. We're not just using them because it's cool. Oh, I want to be the hipster, the most hipster guy, you know, in my neighborhood. Hey, people that want that. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I, I, I think that's cool, but uh, that's not what we're, we're paid for. Well, you what, know? Do you, what do you tell people that want JavaScript fatigue? <laughs> Or that never get it, perhaps. Or that, that are in search. That are in search of it. Yeah. Well, I think that people that never get JavaScript fatigue are either geniuses, <laughs> or they're not just like getting to enough new technologies. Mm. Uh, because I mean, we always feel fatigued uh, when we get into uh, lots of stuff. You know, when we. Uh, try to adopt the React ecosystem, for example, we always have to, like, not always, but it's almost mandatory to adopt Babel and Webpack or something like that, even though it's React as a view library. But I think something great React does is that they only focus on being a view layer. So other people were able to develop upon that. So mm -hmm. Redux came from the necessity we had yeah. to have a global state, a unique source of truth, and lots of other tools came from the like the the things React didn't cover. Mm -hmm. So this is why I think it's also important to like uh, follow the Unix philosophy as I mentioned. So you do one thing, you do it well, and if you have problems, you solve them, you let other people solve them for you. So I think it's kind of hard to not feel JS fatigue at least once. Uh, and you know, uh, if you didn't feel it, uh, I, I think you're you're really lucky. <laughs> I think so for, uh, I worked at SitePen years ago uh, and then I didn't work at SitePen for a number of years. So, and when I wasn't working at SitePen, I uh, did a lot of um, phone development, like mobile development um, with uh, Objective-C and, and iOS and Android and stuff like that. And then I came back to SitePen and things had changed quite a bit, right? There, uh, people, there was Angular and React and all this stuff. Uh, and it, it took me kind of quite a while to even know what to learn next. And I thought that was like that in terms of JavaScript fatigue, I, I knew coming in, I knew JavaScript really well. I knew coming in again years later that I was going to be so overwhelmed with all this stuff that I couldn't start learning everything. I couldn't start learning everything. I had to take a step back and see, see what I was hearing again and again and again, see what people were talking about again and again and again, or, or what, uh, what issues showed up in support a lot. Uh, things like that and from there I've been able to 
learn the things that really seem to matter. And that hasn't felt fatiguing to me. That's felt, it's felt rewarding to learn uh, a small number of ideas. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think that by solving one problem at a time, you know, you reduce uh, a lot of the analysis paralysis I was talking about, which happens when you have too many options. It's so overwhelming <laughs> to like make the optimal decision because you're too concerned with like getting 100% uh, sure on what you're going to choose that you end up choosing nothing. <laughs> and well, I think that by solving one problem at a time, you, you learn what uh, what's the goal of each tool you're using. So, for example, uh, when you're using Webpack, you should not just throw a bunch of loaders in it. You should just add them gradually, mm -hmm. you know, uh, because that's what causes the feeling that you get when you get lost. You know, when you're writing a comment, for example, when you're solving an issue, if you try to do too much, too many things at once, if you don't do TDD, you end up doing a lot of a bunch of changes, and you end up getting ahead of yourself, and you don't know where you are anymore, and you just want to do like git checkout dot and start again, you know, and by solving one thing at a time, I think you create like a, a mental, uh, you create mental steps for getting to a solution. And this is why I think it's so important to do one thing at a time. Uh, that, that's been a fun thread that's being kind of been through a lot of the talks this morning is taking things and making smaller bits out of them, right? Like there seem to be so many benefits of, of doing small problems well. Right, like write a framework for that. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, the Vnode thing, right? Like that's taking a small problem, doing it well. Um, we looked at some of the functional programming stuff. That's taking splitting things into small pro problems and making them easy to use, right? Like some of the mentorship stuff um, that that they're gonna, she's going to talk about later. Uh, we said an interview with Kim, and she was saying people need to learn small things first. Yeah, sure. Uh, it, it's, it's neat seeing so many people that are kind of on the same page that when we're, when we're programming or, or when we're living our lives as, as programmers, we need to take small bites. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, you know, sometimes adopting a framework just takes a lot of time because you've got to learn how to think the right way, not just how to, you know, use its methods and its API. And, you know, I've seen a talk these days uh, by a guy in RedConf. I'm very sorry, I don't remember your name. <laughs> Tori, but it was, Tori will look it up. It, it was an awesome <laughs> talk in which he says that the that worse is better, you know. When you do less things, you let other people build upon that. And that's great because, you know, other people can find their own solutions to stuff. You, you just do your thing. I'm sorry for not remembering your name, but that was a great talk. <laughs> do you think that's good advice for people who are actually building these tools or frameworks too, to to be a little less opinionated or to make it easier to... Well, I, I don't actually think they should be less opinionated because there are lots of things that are very opinionated and they're good. The problem is when you disagree with something, you gotta like go a long way in order to do the things you want. And that's, that's, I, that's I, I think that's the problem with uh, opinionated stuff. But I think it's great. There's a lot of opinionated st stuff out there that's great. But you gotta do your choices uh, carefully. Uh, in the JS system, for example, uh, we at Chai, we just do assertions. We don't focus in running tests or any of that stuff. So we focus on being compatible with other libraries and, you know, we just try to get our job right. And we have our maintainers which are focused on doing our job right and other people are focusing on doing their job right too. So I think that these things, they just fit together very well. Very well. Uh, I don't think that necessarily being opinionated is a problem. Maybe opinionated is the wrong word. I was thinking something like you have on 
one hand frameworks like say Ember where they handle everything and if you mm. use any part of it you really have to use all parts of it whereas you have something like React which handles the view layer and you probably would use it with Redux but you don't necessarily have to yeah sure sure uh, I totally agree with Dan Abramov he says that you might not need Redux necessarily if you're building a React application and actually I think this is the very reason why React is so popular because you don't need to adopt a whole set of tools in order to use it you know, you can you can understand React uh, just by reading React docs. You know, of course you gotta use Babel if you wanna use JSX, but React's not a, all about JSX. You know, JSX just compiles down to JS. You don't have to use it at uh, all. Yeah, right? in the end, it's just yeah. JavaScript. So uh, that's that's why I think React is so so popular. Yeah, in terms of the like your question about being opinionated, I know that I was writing a fairly large uh, component, uh, and I thought that it was going to be the smartest to take an approach where I wrote everything. And it was one of those situations where um, when I started showing it to other people, they were like, well, that, that that's silly. You should be using this tool to do this one big part that you're using. And I, at first I thought they were crazy. And then I started using it and I'm like, wow, this is <laughs> like, this is a really uh, good approach that, that I hadn't considered because I, you know, I, I guess I didn't want. It's the JavaScript fatigue thing, right? Like I didn't yeah. want to have to go to another, yeah. to another tool. And you know, this is early on when I was getting back into JavaScript, and and it's knowing how how these tools have become very specialized to do a single thing uh, should make you more willing to when you have a problem find out how someone solved it. Yeah, sure. I, I think that's the whole point uh, when I say that you should strive to be lazy. You mm -hmm. know, if you're doing something and I'm you're struggling, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah being, being a programmer is all about being lazy. You know, you're you're writing stuff to do uh, things for for people to solve their problems to make their lives easier. Mm -hmm. So you're basically you want to be lazy. You know, you don't want to be repeating the same task uh, all over again. And something that I think applies to almost every job, every creator is that. You know, you should work to not work because mm -hmm. that's what creates the most revenue, and that's how the world uh, goes on. So, uh, I think I got lost in my thoughts. <laughs> Sorry for that. <laughs> I really like philosophy. Uh, well, yeah, that, don't yeah. we all? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, like uh, we're talking about how um, you fi finding the problems that you have and finding out like third-party libraries that'll solve it for you yeah, is, sure. is a good. Sure, and that, that's why I think it's so important to just keep talking to people because sometimes you just just don't realize you're doing work that's uh, unnecessary because yeah. someone has already solved their problem. You know, even though we gotta be criterious uh, when selecting uh, tools to solve our problems, we must not refuse uh, to use them and end up reinventing the wheel. You know, you, we gotta stand on the shoulders of giants and you know pick tools that solve our problems, but we gotta have some criteria. And actually, Webpack, for example. Uh, Webpack, most people like to say that Webpack does lots of stuff, but actually it does just does uh, simple stuff. And the all, all the things it does is because people build plugins for mm. it. So, you know, you can compose uh, great software by adding small pieces to it, you know. That's something people, uh, I, I think uh, most people get confused when they talk about Webpack. But it's all about their, it's, it's plugins, you know, its goal is, is very simple. Small things that work together. Yeah, exactly. I think, I don't know, how do you feel about, so for me, I like that because you, you create something that works for your specific need and you directly address the problems you're, that you have, but for me, the drawback to that approach is jumping from project to project can then be a little diff difficult because um, 
if you're if you're using, for example, something I'm going to use a CSS example. Um, if you're using something like SAS um, or sassy CSS, <laughs> not not the weird syntax, the normal one. Um, it's it's pretty like I can jump into a SAS project I've never looked at and never touched and immediately understand everything that's going on, and I don't see things that are unfamiliar. Um, not that you can't use different libraries, but it's all pretty familiar. Whereas post CSS, you have um, all these you know plugins and, and things that do different things, and the syntax can even be different. And it's hard to jump into a new project. And I think to me that's the drawback to having such a distributed system. And yeah, sure. System. Yeah, sure. I think that uh, even though we should uh, embrace change, I think that we should. Well, you know, be aware that in the real world, uh, people know different things and they, they're into different technologies. So when we're adopting a technology, one thing that we should take into account is how many people know that, you know, and how hard it's going to be to find people that can work with us on that or finding people that can learn that and be effective working with that technology, you know, because learning something uh, takes time. And I think that actually it's good to have time inside our companies to study. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we will get stuck in there in without knowing what's going on next uh, in the market. And you know, that that's bad not only for us as developers, because we're not getting better off at Warcraft, but it's also bad for the company, which is, you know, losing the opportunity to solve problems in a better way and increase its revenue. So that's why I'm very pragmatic when I say that all that matters is cost versus revenue, because that's what it's all about. It's not about writing code, you know, mm -hmm. it's about creating value. I think what you're touching on, which is, I think even factors into JavaScript fatigue, is we sometimes use bad tools. Yeah. I think that's something that, that people don't talk about very much because you kind of are obligated sometimes to point specific tools out. <laughs> um, but we, when you learn new tools, you're going to learn bad tools sometimes. Um, there, uh, there are plenty of things where someone is doing the right thing in the wrong way. Uh, and can create very, very confusing things that are very hard to switch between. But, yeah. I, I mean, I, th I think I was talking with someone earlier and they were saying that switching between React and Vue was pretty easy. Because they're, they're both relatively straightforward things that, that, that work in similar ways and that don't have a ton of, uh, not just ab abstraction, but obfuscation, where there's a ton of magic happening. So I think some of the, some of the pain of constantly switching between tools is not inherent in switching between multiple tools. I think it's because sometimes we switch to bad tools. I felt that way kind of about Angular and Angular, Angular 1. Angular does a lot of magic. Especially like Angular 1 is the one I actually tried more than Angular 2, but all of the weird like directives and stuff, mm -hmm. it to me it looked like magic the first time I got into it. And after you, know, you, you, after you get into the ecosystem, you drink the Kool-Aid and suddenly it all makes sense and you spend enough time <laughs> to see what's behind it. But it does make switching hard. And yeah. But you mean with Angular, even with Angular 2 and 4 and all that stuff, yeah. when you hop into an Angular project, you still have to parse it. Yeah. It still takes a lot of mental overhead to switch to it. Yeah. Um, and that's talking about, like, that's one of the, it's, it's, they're doing the right thing in a way that can be hard to, to look at. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of hard to decide whether something is bad or not because, you know, it's all about uh, choosing the right abstractions and sometimes. Uh, you need to, you know, use different technologies for different projects and, you know, they cover different areas. And I think that we should not look back uh, and, you know, judge these tools by what they, by what, how we see them today, you know, comparing them to what we have today, because I think it's, we're, we're like, 
we're, we're uh, facing an, an evolutionary stage of tech, web technology, especially. So at that at that time, Angular was a good choice. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, nowadays maybe React uh, is a better choice for some other projects, but Angular is still good. You know, and it's kind of hard to judge technology based on that. So I think that we should always. Uh, push forward, especially because those things are cyclic. You know, mm -hmm. as I sh as I showed in my talk, you know, most of the concepts we used today in JavaScript they already existed before, mm -hmm. and we're just reinventing them in better ways. And maybe the concepts Angular uh, brought us like a few years ago mm -hmm. will like uh, come up again in well, a few reactive, years. Reactive programming is. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe Angular concepts will come up again in a few years uh, in a new phase with new like interfaces mm -hmm. or some new ideas added to it, and it will become the new standard of the industry. So it's really hard to judge. You know, we gotta. I think we always gotta strive at uh, in pushing forward. You know, because it's it's kind of hard to. Yeah, I think I think having way. I think accepting rough ed rough edges is worth it, uh, for sure. Um, I, and I think that as, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is is that as we pick tools that are better suited for what we're doing, some of the, the pain of having to switch back and forth between multiple projects is going to get better. <laughs> yeah, well, once, you, once you have uh, standards, it gets a lot easier, you know, for people to adopt things. And, and like more solid ideas, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. just like uh, ECMAScript, for example, there's a standard for that. And even though uh, lots of browsers don't implement the <laughs> things the same ways, mm -hmm. uh, there's a standard, and yep. so people can follow that that standard. And you know, there's there's a good and a bad side about standards because standards are of course uh, a bit slower than just like creating frameworks. But uh, when you create a standard, uh, also I I've heard that I think it's, it was Michael Rogers that said that in a blog post that standardization it kind of uh, limits innovation or or something like that. And well. I think that we might be able to just let frameworks uh, be born and you know, choose the best ones and you know, see what people are adopting and then have them uh, standardized so that people can follow those good ideas mm -hmm. in a standard way. Yeah, yeah no, I really, like, I really like looking at how many ideas were born out of small toolkits or even in large toolkits, how many of them have become native to the browser. Like yeah. we were talking earlier about how um, it seems very likely that VDOM can become a standard. Yeah, sure. Right? Like it's, it's Document query selector, right? Yeah, query selector. Yeah. I, I never, ever, ever thought that was going to be implemented in, in natively in a browser. Yeah, born to die. <laughs> it's, it's, it's neat. Like it's, it's neat seeing uh, this kind of relentless drive by really open source JavaScript community um, creating standards. It's, it's yeah. really cool. Yeah, yeah, and I, I really like the fact that there are lots, of, lots of people uh, willing to contribute to that mustard. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, if you go to the TC39 uh, repo, mm -hmm. they have all the proposals there with uh, you know all the details you gotta know about lots them. Lots of discussion. Yeah, <laughs> lots of discussion. I think that's great because you know it's democratic, and I think they're they're really doing a good job. Uh, everyone at TC39, I just feel like they're amazing, you know, because they do so so much stuff, and you know, we all of us we we get good things because of yeah. them. Definitely. Just imagining like all of us in 50 or 60 years talking to our grandchildren and being like, I was there when we, <laughs> we, we didn't got have selector all. <laughs> yeah. We didn't have modules. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> Someday that'll be native. Yeah, that's a good story to tell. <laughs> well, thank that. I think that was a good chat. Yeah, it was a good chat, definitely. Thank you very much.
Uh, I'm John Mills uh, from Kansas City. I'm a JavaScript developer uh, consultant there. And my talk today at, at Nebraska.js was kind of a skeptic's guide to functional programming, which basically means most of the time when I talk to people about functional programming, they're very um, dogmatic about it. And like, if you don't do functional programming right, then you're a horrible person, you know, that kind of thing. And, but the more I looked at it, the more I discovered that there's, there's some really good features there. And there's some really good patterns and practices that, that help you make your code a lot easier. That if you, don't, if you don't go all in and try and do everything, but just kind of apply it in places that make sense, it actually makes your life a lot better. So that was kind of trying to convey that thought of you know just start replacing your for loops with a ray dot map and and you're heading down the right path well yeah it does seem like a baby in the bathwater situation yes. the attitude that most people have about uh functional programming because like oh either you have pure functions yep. where there's no uh like you don't affect any other state but the inputs and your outputs uh or they uh or like we can't have them at all because right. um then we might accidentally right. side Who knows effects? what might happen right and and I've got a I've got a series of slides in my talk that basically say um, you know not all of your functions can be pure you you can't always avoid side effects you can't um, always have everything be immutable right I, you, you in the JavaScript world you can't get there you know in a, in a functional language you can get there but JavaScript's not a functional language so you can't get there the idea isn't isn't holistic. It's it's let's just make a couple little changes. Absolutely. Well, it's just like and JavaScript has such terrible scope handling. What do you what do you lose by having function based programming? We get you do function based programming, you get function scope, which is right. the only scope that you ever have in JavaScript. Why not right. do it? And and that's that's kind of the thing is is the way JavaScript treats functions is lends itself so nicely to this paradigm where because first you can, class first objects, class yeah. objects <laughs> they are objects but yes um so but you can pass them around and and with closures you can you can wrap scope around the function uh and that's that's an easy way to to build dynamic callbacks and and things like that uh you can add a couple extra variables to your scope uh, and that would be currying mm -hmm. uh using an fp term where it it lends itself to being very easy to just start to apply some of these principles. I mean, the ability to use closure variables, yep. uh, it's one of those things where when you get in that debate between whether it can be a pure function or whether it has to be a pure function or not, you're like, if you do the right thing, you gain a ton of benefit. Having right. access to closure variables uh, is incredibly powerful. Yes. I mean, the things it lets you do with higher order programming, which is literally side effects. Yep. The, the things you're able to do with higher order programming uh, are pretty fantastic. If you if you make sure that you approach it in the right way, the the benefits you get right. are, are so worth it. Uh, and it seems having a hardline approach against that. I don't understand. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Having a hardline approach in either direction doesn't yep. make a lot of sense, mm -hmm. right? I mean, ultimately, we're here to solve problems, not to be dogmatic about our programming styles, yep. right? So so what I like to do, I've got a course out there that's basically uh, on Pluralsight, gang of four 
design patterns mm-hmm. in JavaScript. And so, you know, we do all of that stuff, um, which is like the polar opposite of pure functional programming yeah. mentality. But the reality is there are some places where having an object makes sense. And there's some places where doing pure functions and immutability makes sense. It, it's figure out the right tool for the specific thing we're trying to do and just use that. There's no sense fighting against what you're trying to accomplish just because you feel very strongly about one paradigm or another. Yeah. And I think encouraging people to do the right thing when they're programming uh, in order to get those benefits is worth it. I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen it, but one of the things that, that the whole discussion makes me think of is um, you look at some of the ways other languages have, have, have approached functional programming. And um, one of the things that Objective-C and then later on Swift did is that when they introduced um, kind of first-class functions, right. um, one of the things they did is that if you used a closured variable, you had to say how you wanted it to be closured. And I thought that approach was really interesting where you could say, this is a closure, but it's read-only. This is a, right. a, a two-directional closure. Um, I'd be interested if people are really that obsessed about it, um, if they would be willing to create tools that actually detected that stuff. Right. Well, and there's, uh, especially around immutability, there's there's tools like Immutable.js yeah. <laughs> and things like that. And if people really care, yeah. Right. But the thing that's interesting about JavaScript is that... It is designed to be incredibly flexible. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's it's written so that you write code and you fling this code halfway across the world and then expect something to run it when it gets there. Yeah. So it, it by its nature, it's going to try and do what it thinks needs to be done and do its best. And and then we start instituting all of these paradigms like functional programming. That what makes functional programming awesome in a lot of cases is you have a compiler that detects, like you were just saying, hey, you're using this variable here and you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, it knows about that right. stuff. By default, JavaScript doesn't have that stuff, mm-hmm. so you just kind of have to try your best to do it. Uh, one thing that you said, though, uh, that kind of made me think is Jessica did a talk on the story of your yeah. code, mm-hmm. right? And, and how you're not just writing code for you. You're writing code for other people to consume. Uh, a good friend of mine, Jeremy Clark, does a talk um, that serial coders, uh, serial killers read your code. Uh, something, <laughs> you know, so you've got to write code in a way that, that somebody it won't hurt you later, right? Yeah. Uh, and so the idea is, if you kind of take both of their thoughts, Writing code in a way that's cohesive, it makes sense, and is you just look at it, you know what's happening, isn't just good for you, it's good for everybody else that's going to interact with your code. And so when you get into weird idiosyncrasies, I try and avoid a lot of that stuff because I might understand it, but the next person who comes along and picks up my code, which may be me six months later when I don't understand it anymore, uh, it just makes it that much harder. So, and that's that's one of my examples was a for loop is sometimes very difficult to follow. Yes. <laughs> but if I can do, <laughs> right. If I can do an array dot map with a named function that describes what's going on in that map, that's much easier to read, mm-hmm. right? And, and But if I get into weird, like using closures in a way that it's not intuitive, but it's cool, yeah. right? Then Cle- eh, cleverness is yeah. Cleverness is not a feature. Yeah, cleverness is is usually a bad thing. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. 
As someone that likes to be clever, I have gotten into a lot of trouble because I've been trying to be I clever. I am also guilty of that from time to time. I'll, I'll read about something or I'll see something like, ooh, this is cool. Yeah. And then I end up writing a, uh, you know, a chain, an array chain that's 15 things long saying, see, I did it all on one line of code. 200,000 cool operations. That? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that was not cool. Not at all. I, I really like a lot the, how a lot of the tools that are coming out nowadays <coughs> kind of embrace a lot of the benefits of JavaScript while protecting you from some yes. of the strange side effects. Uh, like reactive programming, right? Um, well, on top of reactive programming, right? You know, reactive programming is just that you're always reacting to something. Right. But, but the idea of unidirectional flow where you can you can mess with things right mm -hmm. in in a unidirectional flow program you can in in uh, a form that you're submitting you can mess with like the name of some user object that's part of a thousand user array. Uh, what's neat about the ideas behind it are just because you mess with that doesn't mean it's going to propagate everywhere else in the application. Right. So um, having these ideas where you're not really protecting people from things, but you're making it so that there's a paradigm where you don't benefit from right. messing with things. It's super interesting, um, and I really like that Well, that, another that example attitude. of that specific thing is, so React, they have state. Mm -hmm. And the way it's described in the docs is React state should be treated as immutable. Yeah. It's not actually immutable, mm -hmm. and so you can go in and you can change all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Don't, yeah. <laughs> right? Because yeah, it'll just overwrite it later. Doesn't anything, it doesn't yeah. help you. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's kind of the thing with JavaScript is uh, there are. It's very very important to pay attention to what you're doing, um, much more so than in other languages because yes. you don't have this, that support. And so the paradigm you're following and the thought process around what you're doing becomes much more important. Because you don't have the safety net. Uh, I, so you can lint. Uh, I would highly recommend linting. Yes. I would highly recommend um, having tests and all of that stuff built. Code coverage is Code, one of my favorites. Yep. Um, but ultimately, it comes down to you really have to think about what you're doing uh, because you don't have that safety yeah. net. Yeah, I, just, I like how creative people have been with... Mm -hmm with the drawbacks of JavaScript, right? Like the whole, the joke, it's a it's a feature, not a bug. Yep. It's like the entirety of JavaScript is, it's a feature, not a bug. Right. And, and it's so neat that people have basically said like, here's all the places that JavaScript really screws the pooch. Uh, and here are some ways of doing programming right. that make all of those really messy things incredibly powerful and, and and even less buggy sometimes <coughs> certainly um i'm kind of weird in some of that <laughs> because i tend to think um loosely typed is a feature right especially when i'm dealing with uh number inputs in a you know the fact that i can convert my zero yeah. to a zero pretty like the string zero to the number zero yeah. without having to think about it um, i also love the fact that my objects are not statically designed so if i want to add something to an object i just add it i don't have to worry about it um and so that's why i've, I've pushed back a little bit on typescript just because i feel like it's extra work because uh, i've got to define all of my objects, and i don't you don't have to and i understand that but um I end up using colon any 
because mm. you know I don't care, and and so I end up losing because I'm stubborn and painful. I end up losing some of that feature set that's available to me. Well, I think uh, what's the, the TypeScript example is interesting because I think that the TypeScript team agrees with you. Right. So what's kind of neat is that I mean, what's neat about watching TypeScript evolve is that they've they're basically saying we want to give you all of these things that make JavaScript unique yep. uh, in a way that lets you do some crazy sort of things. Like right. you, you talk about adding the adding like an extra property to an object. It's only recently the TypeScript's even made it so that you can say like this is this type plus an extra property. Right? Like that's that's only recent that they've made that sort of change. So it's I think it's interesting that that they're even trying to keep some of the interesting right. parts of JavaScript around. And, and I like that they're responsive to that stuff too. Mm -hmm. So that every every time you use any, right. you can go to the TypeScript team and be like, I was in this situation. I didn't, like it was stupid um, that I should have to worry about this. I ended up just typing in any. Yep. And it's neat because a lot of the time they come up with a workaround for that. Right. So it's, right. And it's, it's definitely been interesting to watch it evolve over time from what it was even back when angular 2 first started coming mm -hmm. out i mean it's it's, it's really grown it's come a long <laughs> way um but that's that's the cool thing now and lucas talked about this a little bit too is the problem with that mm -hmm. is that everything is changing always very fast yes uh and so the fact that typescript if if i haven't messed with typescript in four or five months, mm -hmm. I've missed a lot, yep. right? And I've got to practically go back and start from scratch. And the same is true for all of these cool tools yep. that are available to us. And so um, it's it's kind of in a spot now where you've got to pick your tool set and you've got to understand your tool set and then be perfectly comfortable not having any idea what's going on with other stuff. Um, and then take like a month off and learn everything. Right, right. The, <laughs> the example I always use, um, is there's a there's a fundamental difference between a mid-level developer and a senior developer. Mm -hmm. a, if you ask a mid-level mid-level developer a question, it is very rare they will say I don't know. Mm -hmm. They have to know, right? Mm -hmm. Because they feel like they're and so you'll ask them about TypeScript or you'll ask them about reactive programming or whatever, and and they'll have to give you an opinion. Um, what I have found is the more senior level developers. Um, are very, very comfortable saying, I don't know. I haven't looked at that. Because they understand that it's not even possible. Uh, and like, I'm not going to say I'm only learning stuff that I might not right, need. No, I don't need it, so I don't care. Uh, and so I, I have found that to be very interesting, especially in the JavaScript world, just because there's so much. And now, um, so I was an Angular developer. I converted to Angular 2. Now I'm a React developer. And I, even here, I constantly am asked about Vue. Yep. Like, I haven't looked at that yet. I don't have time for that. Uh, and although I've heard great things about it, so now I probably will have to look at it. But um, but that's three of, what, 15 JavaScript frameworks mm -hmm. that are out there? Yeah, like we uh, work on the Dojo Toolkit. So <laughs> that's another one. Right, right. So, yeah, it's just it's not possible to keep up. And the sooner you become comfortable with that fact, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, I mean, it, it all goes back to the best thing you can advise someone to do when they're looking at things like doing functional programming is to try to do it right. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of the, the best thought is, is pick some pieces of, um, of functional programming, either maps or 
or um, reduce. currying and reduce and and just just play with that a little bit and and build that skill up and then you can start to apply that in other places. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yep. There's a lot of stuff in JavaScript. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the end thought right there. Is there's so much to wrap your head around. Uh, but if you if you add pieces bit by bit, you'll you'll get it. And use them right. If you yep. if you use tools right, uh, even if it's not the best thing in the world ever, right. um, you're still going to be benefiting from the stuff that you use. No question. Oh. Cool. Cool. Well, thanks everyone for listening. We're going to have another episode with the rest of our interviews coming soon. You can follow us on Twitter and various social networks, uh, Twitter at SitePen, S-I-T-E-P-E-N. Um, on Facebook, we're SitePen. I know, weird, right? If you need help building a web application or modernizing some old bad code that no one knows what it does anymore, uh, or even just need some help finishing off uh, some new features that you're trying to get into your project, uh, SitePen can help. Check us out at SitePen.com. I was rolling down the window Cause I like to feel the wind blow We got a good thing Gonna see where the day goes Take it fast, take it real slow We got a good thing